Hello everyone, I'm here for another reading. We're reading from Bedside Book of Psychology by Wade E. Pickering. And the subtitles from Ancient Dream Therapy to Echo Psychology. And it's just little um little history of psychology, different things, different uh, and it goes by years. And it's something I brought to kind of settle my mind when I first split up from my wife and was homeless and dealing with things. And I, I needed something to settle my mind, to focus. Because when you're in the world by yourself, after being cut off from someone you were with 20 years, for, for 20 years, uh, it can be a lot. A lot comes at you. So you have to figure out a way to settle your mind. And I don't get high and I don't drink. So um, I had to settle my mind with something. By the way, as a black man in my community, I'm punished for using knowledge and information to settle my mind instead of alcohol and drugs. So that's the state of black America, which is a whole nother reason why I need things to settle <laughs> my mind because it's complete insanity. All right. I've been reading it. I'm going to pick up where I left off. So 1951 conformity and independence. Solomon Ash was born 1907, died 1996. The, the events of World War II left many thoughtful people worried about the future of human freedom. Many Germans had cooperated with the Nazi regime in the effort to eradicate the Jews and other so-called undesirables. In the United States, massive resources were devoted to propaganda, both at home and abroad, to assuage fears and generate support for the war effort. For Solomon Ash, a young Jewish professor, these events raised questions about the importance of social influence on our ability to think for ourselves. After the war, Ash's research turned to consensus building, independence of thought, and conformity, all considered within social context. He published his first studies on conformity and independence in 1951. We learned in social psychology class that um, World War II was the thing that started kind of the field of social psychology. Because they needed to know how the German people went along with that stuff. <laughs> it's funny. Shouldn't we have done that to figure out why everyone went along with slavery or why everyone went along with the Trail of Tears? Never occurred to them. Laid back to the reading. He later explained this body of work in a popular article written in November 1955. For the Scientific American, titled Opinions and Social Pressure. Life in society requires consensus as an indispensable condition, but consensus to be productive requires that each individual contribute, contribute independently out of his experience and insight. When consensus comes under the dominance of conformity, the social process is polluted and the individual surrenders the powers on which his functioning 
as a feeling in thinking being depends. In order to examine an impact, the impact of social groups on independence and conformity of thought, Ash recruited male undergraduates for a study of perceptual judgment. Each subject was shown a line of a certain length and asked to choose which of three three other lines of varying lengths was the same as the original line. Only one matched. Alone, the subjects were almost invariably correct. But when asked in the presence of other students, all of whom were working with Ash, 38% chose the incorrect line when the other students did so. Ash worried the conditions in several ways in several ways, including having one partner who agreed with the subject, this greatly reduced the errors, thus indicating that social support is important in maintaining independence despite group influence to conform. I keep saying this. Your individuality comes out of your social condition, out of your community's condition. Nobody wants to listen. Well, these people know. Although the majority of textbooks describe Ash's research as conformity studies, Ash actually found greater support for independent thinking. His results also confirmed his theoretical work on the importance of understanding persons within the context of social field in which they make judgments. So that's the end of that section. It says also, see also Gestalt Psychology. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. 1912. Milgram's Obedience Experiments, 1963. And the Stanford Prison Experiments, 1971. And you know all of those experiments, okay? 1952. Bees dancing, egg rolling birds, and New Science Ethology. Carl R. von Schrich, Conrad Lorenz, and Nico Timbergen. So, von Frisch was born in 1886, died in 1982. Conrad Lorenz, 1903 to 1989. Ethologists studied fish, birds, insects, and mammals within an evolutionary framework. That is, they want to know how animal behavior is organized and what its function is in helping the animal survive. In, this, in his book, King Solomon's Ring, 1949, the first English language edition of which was published in 1952, Austrian scientist Conrad Lorenz wrote about how he could talk to the animals as Solomon had. His specialty was the relationship of mothers and their offspring. He discovered that if the first object that a duckling sees within a few hours of hatching is a human, then that person becomes the duckling's mother. 
the animal has imprinted on the human and will follow him or her anywhere, just as it would a mother duck. Lorenz's work became very popular in the 1950s and 1960s, as mother-child relationships were of great concern to scientists. Politicians and the public, it was clear that early life experience was crucial in shaping the child. Dutch ethologist Nico Timbergen took a different track by studying a, a variety of species but he was best known for his innovative research on the stick, uh, the stickleback fish. His research showed that the complex chain of events that a male stickleback went through to woo a mate, build a nest, fertilize the roe, and defend the offspring. His message concerned the powerful role of instinct. Um, it had long been, oh, I didn't turn the volume, did I? It had long been thought that honeybees did not see in color, but ethologist Carl von Frisch convincingly showed that they did. He then extended his work to study the movements of bees after they discovered a source of food, von Frisch found that bees do different dances to indicate the location and distance of food to others in the hive. These three scientists won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 1973 because of ethology's important implications for health and human society. See also Darwin's On the Origin of Species, 1859, Attachment Theory, 1969, Traditional Knowledge, Indigenous Psychologies, 2019, Climate Crisis, Psychology, 2020. Um, oh, so these are all in the book. These are references to the book. So we'll get to those as we move forward. Uh, should we do another one? Let's see. This one's not that long. Let's do this one. Lives and Progress, 1952. Wasn't the last one 1952? Okay, 1952. Lives and Progress, um, Psychology and the Stories of Our Lives. Robert W. White, 1904-2001. What is the best way to understand a human life? Psychologists have developed tests of intelligence, personality, and ability. When we look at the resulting numbers of score on scores, do we really know the person who took the test? Psychologist Robert White was not satisfied that human life could be measured by paper and pencil or by computerized tests. Instead, he spent his career in the study of lives being lived. He published the first edition of his seminal book on the study of individual lives, Lives in Progress. In 1952, subsequent editions were published in 1966 and 1975. White grew up in, the New, in New England and was once described as almost the last of a species of proper New Englanders. 
He was born into a well-to-do family, was loved by his parents, and curious about the world. He had a deep passion for the humanities, especially history, but he chose to attend graduate school in psychology. He had the good fortune to enter Harvard's psychology program and just in time that Henry Murray, another unconventional thinker, became the head of the Harvard Psychological Clinic. Over the next few years, White was joined by a remarkable group of students and colleagues, many of whom went on to become leaders in personality psychology. White studied lives in their fullness the unconscious determinants of present behavior did not concern him. He was more interested in people's perception of key turning points in their lives. What were their current interests? How had these interests developed or changed over time? How was competence displayed in life? White took individual lives seriously and it showed in the case studies he produced. He wanted to know about the problems and the questions that concern ordinary people and to hear how they went about addressing them. Many of his case studies were longitudinal reviews of lives over time so that he could understand where a person had been and where he or she was going. Perhaps no other psychologist has given us such profound insights into human lives and how to study them in their richness. See also thematic our perception tests, our studies, and our personalities, 1935, and positive psychology, 2000. So we'll pick up next time with 1953, the case of HM. So that'll be tomorrow because I'm going to do more readings. Um, think five days a week. Um, hell, I might just do them seven days a week. I just enjoy doing the readings just to put as much content out as I can because life is short and I want to leave as much work behind as possible. Um, you know how to support the, the podcast. You give directly or and or you hit the links and or you become a sponsor. So get on board. Until tomorrow, take care of yourselves, be safe, be safe, be safe.